Hello, horse fans, and hello, mystery fans. Welcome to the podcast that combines them both into the wonderful confabulation we like to call Horse Mysteries. My name is David Edrick. My name's Lisa Williamson. Uh, this episode, this is episode five, so we're past the halfway mark. It's mm-hmm. hard to believe, isn't it, dear? It is. We're zooming through this season now. What is this episode called? Vetted. Vetted, that's right. This is uh, in honor of our veterans. And, no, it's not, is it? It's about uh, getting checked by a vet? Is that what vetted means? Mm, that's what vetted usually means, yes. Oh, so you've changed the meaning for this story. Okay, and uh, but we usually start with horse bits before we... And now you look, you look all scared. <laughs> Get nervous. <laughs> <laughs> you used to be so confident about this. I've, I've stymied you a couple of times, but I'm not going to stymie you today. I'm going to, uh, once again, I'm going to lob one. I don't know if I've talked about this before, but I'm inter- I'm always interested in the horse's respiratory system. I find it fascinating for whatever reason. Now, is there something about the way the horse's face is shaped that allows for them to be more efficient breathers? Yes. So the same way a building might have, I guess the term would be vestibule, where you walk from like the outside into like a foyer or a lobby, and then through another doorway into the main part of the building. Mm -hmm. And I kind of never really thought about that before until I went out to Alberta once to teach a clinic. And that little vestibule or whatever you call that area, just like... Let's call it a narthex. Okay. Um, It kind of... I don't know, equal, not equalize, but you went from very cold to okay to regular temperature. Okay. And in so, the horses... Um, so it's like a decompression chamber. Yeah, whatever. But it just allows for, it stops the warm air from the main part of the building from all going out the door. And it also starts stops the cold air from all going inside. Mm, so mm. yeah, it's sort of a... Well, it's interesting. That's also the idea of parkas is the way they have... The long hood that would almost be like a beak mm, yeah, it was the yeah, same idea. Okay. So the air would, the cold air would slowly warm up as it came towards your face. So by the mm-hmm. time it got through that layer, it was it was more breathable. It wasn't right. like the it wasn't the you know it's still cold, but it wasn't mm-hmm. freezing yeah. cold that your lungs would. Uh, yeah, interesting. Know. I never thought of that, but yeah, good point. So yeah, horses, as far as breathing goes, they have they are what are is known as obligatory nasal breathers. So a horse does not breathe through its mouth. Yeah. It only breathes through its nose. And so one of the Can things... I just point out that a regular regular correspondent to Louise loves that term? Oh. <laughs> yeah. I think almost Shakespearean in its uh, capacity for insult. Yeah. So one of the things with the horse's nostrils is they're usually fairly large and pliable, but they also have some cartilage around it called aller cartilage. And so they can kind of make that become sort of erect so that the nostrils actually flare and can capture more air uh, to make breathing more efficient. And then the horse's head, uh, if you think about, you know, every every so often a person will call their horse an airhead, and that is absolutely true because, you know, the horse's brain is about the size of a maybe a walnut or something like that. Oh, really? That's quite small. Yeah, they've got a, a large tongue. But the thing that takes up the most space in the horse's head is all the nasal cavities. So mm, mm. it's basically through, the air comes in through the nostrils and goes into one chamber compartment, and then it passes to the next and passes to the next, passes to the next, all the way up through the horse's head. Yeah. And so that will... You know, a horse can go out and be running around in minus 30. A horse can go out and be running around in plus 40. Yeah. Um, and they can still go out and do their work. Yeah. Because 
they have all these compartments that make the air basically room temperature or body temperature by the time it reaches the lungs. Yeah. So that's all part of the what we call the upper respiratory system. So the horse has, has two divisions of the respiratory system. The upper respiratory system, which goes from the nostrils through all these nasal cavities and then through basically the throat area, the larynx, etc. Yeah. Yeah. And then down into the actual lungs, which are the lower respiratory system. And yeah, the horse's respiratory system in general is its weak link. So if a horse breaks its leg or any bone, then you know, theoretically that can heal. And uh, if a horse has tendon injury or muscle injury or ligament injury, you know, with good luck, that can heal. But if a horse damages its lungs, there's no returning from that. Okay. And so you as an owner, you're just trying to maintain at that point and stop it from getting worse yeah. because that's yeah. the kind of natural progression is that if you're not very, very careful, it will continue to get worse. So mm. air quality, quality of food, making sure that the food is not dusty, making sure that the horse is conditioned properly so that it's not overworked. I guess, you know? the, I guess their bedding situation as well yeah. would be an example of... Bedding, even just footing. Uh, I mean, nowadays, I think we see more horses around here anyways coughing because people have them in sand paddocks and then they go and r ride in sand arenas and it's just like dust, dust, dust 24-7. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, yeah. yeah. Interesting. And it's true also when... Like, you if a horse gets scared or starts to panic, you do see like the immediate flaring of the nostrils, like mm -hmm. the, their whole head is erect and they, their nostrils flare and, and uh, yeah, it's interesting. It's mm -hmm. like the first thing that happens yes. when they get frightened. Yeah. Yeah. So that must be just part of that. Just a nervous response it has nothing mm -hmm. to do with yeah, their control. Yeah, I think like they just get a kind of boot of adrenaline and <laughs> yeah. boop. Yeah, all these yeah, <laughs> systems go into play And then you know, you know it's time to get out of the way. Yeah. <laughs> Run for your life. <laughs> not quite. Just drop, but, your, yeah. drop your farrier tools and back away. Just back away. <laughs> do, not, do not engage at that moment. Just yeah. let the horse calm down, its nose return to normal, and then you can, uh, mm -hmm. you can continue. Yeah, there's lots more about the respiratory system that's interesting, but... Um, we'll yeah, save that for another time. Yeah, we'll save that for another time. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, that was really interesting, though. There, another, another d nice lob from me to Ooh, you. Thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's uh, go to our uh, actual, actual story for this episode, which... You have titled episode five. Yes, episode five. That's what it's called. So guess what it's about. Um, and this is, I think I said our theme for this season was movies. For most of our stories, this okay. is the one so far that is not. Oh. So this is the first one that right. doesn't have a movie connection sure. to it. And I don't know that it ever will. Well, let's listen and find out why. Okay. So the time is morning of December 10th, 2008. 2008? Uh-huh. Wow. The year of the Great Crash. Yes. Yeah. Hmm. A natural crash. Yeah. Okay. And the place was Langley, British Columbia, which was formerly the horse capital of Canada. Never heard of it. Never heard of it. Okay. Other than living there. <laughs> or as yeah. I like to call, the, the motto of Langley used to be where city meets country, but I like to say where city eats country. Right. I think that's more accurate. Yeah. Which is why it is no longer the horse capital of Canada. Yeah, it was, uh, I think, second, had the second largest horse population in North America at one point, so in the 80s. Yeah, well, I mean, it was the perfect situation. It was relatively close to Vancouver, but it went th at that point, property prices were at such that people could afford to buy a smallish pro acreage and pop a horse on it 
And so I have a couple of horses around for the kids and then also, you know, and then, then there are also bigger farms and stuff like that as well. But there's just like a pretty perfect situation that has now gone away because property value has increased so much here, mm-hmm. just like everywhere else in the world. Right. To the point where it's not economical to just buy a property and devote acres and acres of land to a couple of horses charting around eating the grass. You know, like it has to be economically viable to own all that property. Mm-hmm. So most of everywhere is becoming like cash crops, like blueberries and stuff like that. Right. And, and hops and, and raspberries and mm-hmm. things, which isn't terrible, but no. it's just different yeah. than what we grew up with. It is. And then, yeah, what we grew up with is different than what was before, which was mainly dairy. Okay, so what is our incident? I don't know. You might even know this one. But on the morning of December 10th, 2008, a person driving a vehicle down 208th Street in the Glenwood, Campbell Valley area of South Langley, B.C., came upon what appeared to be an accident involving a vehicle hitting a horse. Both the horse and the car were observed to be in the ditch. The passerby called 911 to report a motor vehicle accident involving a horse. Which is actually relatively rare here in Langley. Oh, yes, very rare. Like, I can, I think, of two in Langley since I grew up. I'm sure there are more, but those are just two that I know of. They both involved pony club kids. And, I mean, one was in the 70s Mm. and one was probably in the 80s. But having said that, like, I don't ride on the road anymore. I don't <laughs> think it's safe to ride on the road anymore. Yeah, I mean, yeah. having said that, I did take Harris down the road, um, but I actually led him the whole way. And then yeah. I got to the trail and then I rode down the trail. And then there were some other roads that I did ride on a little bit. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, it's not really the same kind of. Well, I think our memory, because I remember like when we were younger, like all the big gravel trucks that drove everywhere. Yeah. So, I mean, we used to ride with those going up and down yeah. the roads. So, it just depends. You know, it's really... Yeah, I think the horses used were to used to. I mean, we had riding thoroughbreds off the track and they're used to yeah. everything flying by them. So, <laughs> I think they're pretty... That was a problem with our horses. They were used to things flying by them. Yeah. Mostly on the track. <laughs> <laughs> well, BJ anyways, to be, to be not. Uh, okay. <laughs> All right, so what happened next? Uh, Constable Dumas of the Langley Detachment of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, or RCMP, responds to the call. She finds a car situated in a ditch in front of a house at 2063-208 Street, Langley. At the scene, she finds the vehicle nose first halfway into the ditch, and standing in the ditch in front of the vehicle is a horse. She also witnessed a long rope tied to the horse's halter extending back to the front of the vehicle. The other end of the rope was tied to the car. Three people were also on the scene, an adult male, an adult female, and a female teenager. The male was holding the horse's halter on both sides by the cheeks and was trying to urge the horse forward by making clucking sounds. Constable Dumas said to the male, I don't think your horse is going to be able to pull that car out of the ditch, to which the male responded, well, he moved it a bit. It was about that time that the horse attempted to jump up out of the ditch and across the ditch. He was unable to make the maneuver and rolled back down into the ditch, landing on his side. The horse was then unable to rise. Uh-oh. Constable so Dum- now, just so people know, this is a dangerous situation for a horse to be in. Mm-hmm. And what is it called when a horse... Well, they can get cast. So usually you see a horse cast in a stall or up against a fence. Mm -hmm. And if they try and lay down and roll, because horses will roll over. um, If they do it too close to a wall or the fence, then they can get jammed in and they can't stand up. 
And so basically the weight of their intestines can press on their lungs and that can cause them to die. Mm. So yeah, having a horse that's unable to get up is not good. So Constable Dumas calls a veterinarian to come assist the horse who is still recumbent after some time. In the interim, Constable Dumas also determines that the vehicle is uninsured and that the people on the scene reside at the residence in front of which the accident has occurred. The male was ordered out of the ditch, handcuffed and placed in the back of the police car. Soon, more vehicles arrive on the scene, including additional police officers and personnel from the Langley Township Fire Department, which specializes in large animal rescues. Hmm. Another vehicle then arrives, driven by Animal Protection Control Officer Michael T. Brokhorst of the SPCA or Society of Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. Uh, the next vehicle on the scene is that of local area veterinarian surgeon Dr. Antonio Cruz, who had earlier been called by Constable Dumas to administer to the horse. Yet another vehicle arrives, this one with Langley Times photographer John Gordon, who proceeded to extensively document the incident in both photos and on videotape. A short time later, this photographic evidence results in a storm of public outrage. Dr. Cruz does an initial assessment of the horse, whose name is said to be Buddy. The fire department then uses a sling to pick the horse up out of the ditch and place him on a flat, grassy area beside the ditch. Dr. Cruz attempts to help Buddy, but in the course of the work, determines that the horse is in bad shape. It is determined that Buddy is emaciated, has an elevated heart rate and respiration, and is hypothermic. Appears exhausted. So, sorry, what's hypothermic? Hypothermic. So, like when people get hypothermia, you're... Oh, I see. Yeah, sorry, okay. You're too cold. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Your, your body temperature gets too low. Sure. Um, or your body temperature actually... Your body steals from its extremities to keep your core mm. warm. Mm. So, this horse probably have very cold ears, for instance. Yeah. Like, horses tend to not get hypothermic in their legs because they can stand in cold, like, snow up to their knees perfectly mm -hmm. fine mm -hmm. but yeah the other parts i've seen horses from alberta that have frostbite have had frostbite on their ears and they've lost off their ears okay yeah Interesting. so they can get hypothermia and lose appendages they often take off all their fur and wander off into the snow <laughs> yeah. so the horse is also exhausted and largely unresponsive so on the plus side his mucous membranes are pink moist and unremarkable dr cruz continues to treat the horse for the next two and a half hours but with only marginal impact. Ultimately, Dr. Cruz determines that there is nothing more he can do with the horse, who is still unable to rise. Oh. Yeah, so I think the pictures, I remember seeing this in the newspaper, and he was just like on the side, not on the side of the road, but on the other side of the ditch, on yeah. the grass, yeah. yeah, just laying flat on his side. The SPCA later estimated that Buddy had been laboring in the mud for over 45 minutes prior to the emergency response team arriving. Oh. So the horse Buddy was a seven-year-old thoroughbred gelding who should have been in the prime of his life. It was determined that he had not been hit by the car, nor was he involved in the car accident in any way. Uh, he had only been led to the front of the property by the owner after the car had gone in the ditch and then was forced to try to pull the car out of the ditch. Dr. Cruz ultimately assesses Buddy's chances of survival at less than 30%, and so the decision was made to euthanize the horse. This was done at 3.05 p.m. that day on site. So the arrival of Mr. Tibrokhorst of the SPCA was a result of a call for help from the, SP, or the RCMP. 
It was not his first time on the property, however. Originally, a complaint had been made earlier in the fall of 2008 of six emaciated horses on the 2.5-acre property, and this was to, to Brokhorst's 14th visit to the farm since September 9th that same year. Wow. Horse had been at the property as recently as the previous day, December 9th, and was preparing to come back on that day, December 10th, to follow up on the previous complaint when he received the call for help from the RCMP. The other revelation that came out of the incident that day, that of the three people who had been present when Constable Dumas first arrived on the scene, the adult male and female, who were the owners of both the horse and the car, are also both veterinarians. Hmm. Hmm. Do you remember this? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm just playing dumb over here. <laughs> yeah. So what happened? Am next? I playing dumb? You, know, you be the judge. <laughs> but I, I, I remember it because we kind of lived through it, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we knew them and whatnot. But um, yeah, in reading this, there was a lot of extra information that came up that I didn't know about. Mm-hmm. But certainly, I remember a lot at the time. Sure. There's lots of gossip about it. Yes. <laughs> So the scene and the preceding events have proven to be quite distressing and traumatic for all involved. As the day wore on, more SPCA officers arrived to assist, including SPCA officer and media spokesperson Eileen Driver. Driver, I mean. Armed with the information that there had been an ongoing SPCA investigation and that there are more horses locked up in the barn who are potentially in distress, the attending RCMP officers, along with the SPCA animal control officers, go to the barn and and find five more horses in similar states of emaciation to that of Buddy, whom Dr. Cruz had earlier assessed to be a one to two on the Henneke scale. Which is... So Henneke scale was a scale, I think it was uh, Dr., I think his name was Henneke, uh, who worked at, I believe, Texas A&M University. And around 1980, I believe, he developed this scale for rating horses' weight. And it's a scale out of 10. Okay. So 1 to 2 is basically like absolute bone rack. Like 1 would be bone rack maybe would die, right? Yeah, yeah. Whereas 10 on the opposite end is just like so morbidly obese, probably going to founder. So an ideal is considered like a 4, but uh, 4 to 5, but 4. Yeah. Because we don't want our horses too fat if they're <laughs> athletes. Um, but yeah, this this horse was bone rack. So 1 to 2 on the Henneke scale. Can't get any lower than that. Yeah. So the police officers took pictures of the animals in the barn, and the SPCA seized the remaining animals, all of whom were in an extremely emaciated state. Their muscles were all showing atrophy, and they were each in a very weakened condition. The police... Can I just interrupt? This yeah. Henneke scale is sort of b- bothering me because this was developed in the 1980s? Yes. I don't know if that counts as... So this is supposed to be like medicine? Because it sounds to me more to me like sociology. Could be, could be. It's just, I think, uh, just a rating scale. Which is the science of the description of what's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's that's largely what it is. Like you, you don't take any uh, quantitative measures of the horse. Yeah. It's more looking at it and seeing where there are fat pockets yeah. or the ones that are on the obese side, or looking at it and seeing like. Is this horse skinny? Can you see it, or can you feel its ribs? Okay. Can so you see it's its like ribs? like a quick way to note down yes. what, yeah. what, is, what they're seeing. Like, I don't know. So, so as a vet goes to a place to make a call, they can jot down three or whatever yes. on their paperwork. And then they know that exactly. that's where this horse is. Yeah. And if this horse is at an eight, 
they want to get it down to a three. Right. Yeah. So it's a clear down to a four. So yeah, quick reference, I think. Is, yeah, yeah. Is all it is, and okay. it's it's it's. It just seems weird that it's a little subjective. It didn't exist sure. until the nineteen eighties. Like before well, that time, people went that horse sure is skinny, and the other person went, "Yep." Well, yeah, we had we had terms for them, yeah, right? Yeah. But I think the terms can be subjective. People get very defensive, you know, like people do with their own weight. Sure. Um, and certainly yeah. with the horses, you know, your horse is too fat or your horse is too skinny. <laughs> what? This is how I like my horses there, you know. And yeah, so, yeah, yeah. you know, if they say, well, look, I can feel its ribs or uh, I can see its ribs or whatever, then yeah, it's yeah. just one additional measure to hold, I guess, some to sort help of standard, the horse. Yeah, some sort I of mean, standard. ultimately, it's it's to help the horse. So that's the purpose of it. All right. Okay. I'll allow it. Okay. Thank you. I'm, I'm happy. So the police also execute a search of the house as well. Okay. So the horse's owners are Dr. Mark Marone and Dr. Carol Marone, or Shoyan, sorry, who are a married couple. They are both taken to the nearby Langley Police Station, where they are each charged with two criminal charges, one of causing an animal to be in stress and the other of failing to provide adequate necessaries for an animal. Okay. So Buddy's remains are then transported to the government lab in nearby Abbotsford for further assessment. Dr. Raverty does a necropsy and his findings are that Buddy is an otherwise healthy and sound equine with no underlying physiological reason for him to be in a, an emaciated state in which he was found mm. other than an ongoing lack of food and nutrients. Wow. So four days after being seized by the SPCA, in spite of being sedated and receiving fluids through IV, one of the seized horses named Magnum continues to deteriorate. So the decision is made to put him down as well. The case has garnered much public outrage by this point, and the SBCA ultimately received many donations to help support the surviving horses. Hmm. This is a case of what my uh, my farrier teacher called scientific neglect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what did he mean by that? Spent that... You don't know, it's hard to explain. Yeah. How, how, well, how I think of it as like being something that is an intentional or neglectful situation that could be corrected... But the people don't correct it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly it's that. Because I know uh, we took a couple of university courses, and the one vet that taught the one, I remember he used to talk about benign neglect, which I think is a very different thing. Um, so that's a similar phrase. It's similar. Then I would consider that as like the neglect of ignorance that I would see a lot as a farrier because people just wouldn't understand that horses needed to have their feet done, mm-hmm. you know, so by the time they called you, you would get there and it would just be an absolute mess, yeah. especially ponies or yeah. because their feet, their hooves are less likely to break off than horses are. Mm-hmm. So you'd come there and it'd just be like these Persian slippers of a, of a pony, you know, with these curling mm-hmm. hooves and the people weren't evil or anything. They had the best of intentions. They just didn't know mm-hmm. what they're supposed to do with a pony yeah. or with a horse. You know, I, I told you that time with those people who were, uh, very upset when I had to take the shoes off in order to trim the feet. <laughs> yeah. You know, because they just, they didn't know. They didn't understand how it worked, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, that's that's a case of, you know, you know, benign or ignorant, mm-hmm. neglect of ignorance. It's different for someone who knows yes. what uh, is necessary for a horse for, you know, to eat, has to eat and needs this amount of care and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then to not provide it is an intentional neglect. That's yeah. different than benign neglect yeah. to me. Good point. <laughs> 
what is up with these owners? <laughs> yes. Yes. So the adults on the premises who are determined to be those responsible for the horses are Dr. Mark Marone, DVM, who bills himself as a radio radiography specialist, and his wife, Dr. Carol Shoyan Marone, DVM, small animal vet. So on the Monday following the incident, the couple were evicted from the house on 208th Street, as it was not their own property, but a rental. The couple had originally hailed from the United States. Dr. Marone, 54 at the time of the incident, was a native of Hawaii, had served in the U.S. military from 1972 to 1975, and had obtained three bachelor's degrees prior to receiving his veterinary degree through UC Davis. Dr. Carol Shoyan had received her veterinary degree in Ohio. The couple met, married, and started a family. They had two daughters, born in 1989 and 1991, respectively. The family had moved to Canada so that Dr. Marone could accept a job teaching at the university in the vet school in PEI, but this position only lasted for one year. Then in 1993, the family moved to Langley, British Columbia, at that time billed as the horse capital of Canada. Dr. Shoyan started up her own small animal practice while Dr. Marone was freelancing as a diagnostic imagery specialist. The family had brought some horses with them in the move across the country, but continued to acquire additional horses and ponies for their daughters, which they kept on a property they had purchased in South Langley. The daughters joined the local Campbell Valley Pony Club, and the younger daughter in particular was an active competitor in horse shows, primarily competing in dressage and eventing. Mm So, now we'll look at the background on the case from the SPCA. Okay. Okay. So, Michael T. Brockhorst, Animal Protection Control Officer with the SPCA on September 8, 2008, had first responded to a complaint of a neglected horse residing at 2063 208 Street, Langley. T. Brockhorst was able to observe from roadside a thin white or gray horse and three chestnut horses in a field. The property was a well-maintained residence on 2.5 acres of land situated deep in the heart of horse country, being just half a mile north of the equestrian facility of Campbell Valley Park, a popular and busy mixed-use public park and equestrian facility. I was just there this morning doing (laughs) cross-country schooling and last night doing cross-country schooling. The 208 Street property would have been estimated to have been worth in the range of $1 to $2 million dollars. There is a barn situated toward the rear of the property and a four-bedroom house at the front of the property. Tobokhurst was not able to get a response at the house, so he left a SPCA door hanger at the front door with instructions to call the SPCA. Tobokhurst returned the next day, September 9th. This was the start of a series of visits and drive-bys where in some cases he was able to talk to the owners, and in other cases was only able to observe the horses from the roadside. He left door hangers after each visit when he was unsuccessful in talking to the owners. After the initial contact on September 9th, return visits happened on September 23rd and 30th and October 1st and 2nd. Over the course of these visits, Tobokhurst observed that the horses were being kept blanketed, which was largely unnecessary in the climate's mild weather, and was likely an attempt to conceal the condition of the horses, which he was able to determine was continuing to decline. On October 2nd, Tobokhurst issued a directive to the owners to provide sufficient quality food for the horses, which numbered six in total, in order to reverse the weight loss that was occurring and provide for normal growth and maintenance in order to attain a normal body weight. 
A return visit was made on October 23rd. On that day, a directive was made by Tabokhurst that the owner allow the horse access to the grass in the field as they were being housed in the barn without sufficient food. Hmm. He advised the owners that the SPCA would intervene if the directive was not followed. More it's visits. weird that they wouldn't let the horses go into the Well, they don't want pasture. people to see them. Oh, yeah. yeah. More visits and drive-bys occurred on October 27th and 29th and November 4th and 12th. It was so, not until... So they, sorry, so they weren't competing at this point then, obviously? The, the kids well, were riding? Well, I remember seeing the younger girl cause at Rising Stars Dressage Show. Mm-hmm. And I believe it was that same year. And so that show was in August. Yeah. And I remember seeing the horse being very skinny. Yeah. But I had also taught her at a pony club clinic back in July. Yeah. And I observed at that time the horse was really skinny and it had one eye. Okay. Um, and so, and I knew that the family, both the parents were vets and I, the dad was always with the girl, like mm-hmm. the other kids were all together and blah, blah, blah. And this dad would just walk beside the girl all the time when she was on her horse. But at one point we were together, she and I, and she was riding the horse and the dad wasn't there. And so I said to her, I said, so what's the story with this horse? Um, <laughs> I, I don't know how I said it tactfully, but yeah. I somehow managed to say, you know, your horse is underway. She she had this story, yeah. which is she says, this is not my horse. It's my trainer's horse. Okay. Um, the trainer got it out of a really bad situation. We're trying to put weight on it. Yeah. Um, and, but it's, you know, a hard keeper. And it was, I think, probably a thoroughbred. Yeah. And so I went, Okay. Mm. I thought that sounded reasonable. Sure. Right? So they've got this horse. It was skinnier before. It's getting better. Both parents are vets. Yeah. You take them at face value. Of course. Then a month later, I saw the same girl uh, at the dressage show. The horse was the same skinniness. Yeah. And yeah, that was the last time I saw them. But yeah, so it was the next month that I guess they got the complaint from the SBCA. Yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, it's interesting how people can bamboozle people right (laughs) which is what what happened in this case yes especially for someone like you who holds vets at a high 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 esteem yes i know (laughs) i know so more visits and drive-bys occurred on october 27th and 29th and november 4th and 12th it was not until november 12th that tabokhurst realized that the horses had been turned out on grass on a neighboring property Unfortunately, that late in the year, the grass has a low nutritive value, and Mm -hmm. he was easily able to ascertain that the ribs of one of the horses could be felt through the blanket it was wearing. He also observed that another horse was limping. So on this day, he left yet another door hanger, this time with a directive that the owners contact a veterinarian immediately to see to the horses. So between September 8th and November 12th, Tabokhurst had the opportunity to talk to the horse's owner, Dr. Marone, a number of times, and he was told of the family's financial difficulties. So due to the family's inability to feed the horses because of their ongoing lack of funds, Tabokhurst, on behalf of the SPCA, offered to take four of the six horses. Two of the horses, the gray pony Misty, and a horse described as the cranky horse, in quotation marks, <laughs> were not part of the offer as it was determined by the SPCA that they would be difficult to place with new families. Mm. 
Dr. Marone. With a name like the cranky one. (laughs) Yeah. Be careful what you call your horse. (laughs) Satan. Bad name. Um, Dr. Marone turned this offer down as he felt it was important that his daughter be able to visit the horses in their new homes. And unfortunately, SPCA policy is that former owners have no contact with the animals once they are placed with the new owners. Mm. And That makes sense. It makes sense. And then it's like... I mean, horses... to me, that makes less sense because horses, I don't think, necessarily identify with owners as much as like a dog does, where you, a dog will never not be attached to its original owner. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't know. If, I mean, horses will be fond of the owner, but I don't think they're attached the same way. I don't know. Maybe they do. Yeah, yeah I, I guess they might. I mean, some, I would say some might, some might not. Mm. I know they've done studies uh, and they've said that horses can recognize old owners up to 12 years past the date. Oh, really? And they can also recognize their voices. Like I remember my mom going to the track once. We had that horse, I told you, who had the cast from his uh, elbow right down to the ground all winter. Um, And he had gone back to the track. And I don't know if they boarded him somewhere else maybe the next year. But I remember... We were in to see our horses, and this guy didn't train with us. He was just, uh, um, like, just had one horse, True. and he was in one of the back barns. Yeah. And my mom said, "I'm going to go find Roger." And so she was going through all these barns, looking, and then finally found him. And she, the guy, wasn't there because he actually he wasn't a racehorse trainer. He he was a manager of a liquor store, and so he just would come in before work and train the horse and mm. come back after work and do the feeding and whatnot. <laughs> um, so single horse operation, very small scale. I'll see. Yeah. And so obviously he was at work at this time. And so my mom opened the door to go into the stall and this old man who probably a similar situation, she, you know, she described him as being like 90 years old. He came uh, just kind of like shuffling across the hallway. Girl, girl, don't go in there. And she says, he says, that horse will kill you. And then the horse came over and my mom's like patting him and he's just like nuzzling her and he goes, <laughs> Oh, <laughs> I've never seen that before. And so I guess he had a very bad reputation at the track okay. and used to like savage people. But uh-huh. yeah, anyway, he liked my mom. But yeah, I think horses Cute. can can be that. But even like our daughter, Mary, who used to work at a dog rescue place, yeah. like similar to SPCA yeah. um, in the town that she lived in. And she was talking about how they always pick new names for the dogs. And I'm like... Oh, like that to me just goes totally against the grain. Yeah, yeah. But I guess they don't want the old owners to be, oh, that's Daisy or whatever, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. yeah, if it's going by a different name and they see it, oh, it might be a different dog. But it goes into uh, the witness protect- protection yeah, program. Basically. Okay, so yeah, he wanted his daughter to visit the horse in its new home. Um, so, to Boakhurst then suggested another option being to sell the horses at the auction. So, a suggestion Dr. Marone rejected. Dr. Marone stated he would rehome the animals himself. So, on the day of the incident, the SPCA was in the process of getting a warrant to enter the premises to seize the horses hmm. when they received the call from the RCMP to come to the aid of the horse in the ditch. After the fact, Eileen Drever of the SPCA stated, this is a quote, I can't call the horse in the ditch a walking skeleton because by the time we reached him, he was too weak to walk. So how did it get to this point? That's the question. Yeah, that was a big shocking thing. Door hangers. That's what I got this point. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't blame the door hangers. But I remember we were at a party 
and it was a party that the hosts were... Was it were, the county jail? No, no. Oh, okay. uh, the hosts were a veterinarian, well, the lady was a veterinarian That's right. who runs her own clinic. Yeah. And had had many interactions with this couple. Okay. Um, and it was the day that this had happened. Mm. And I'd heard it on the news, and then I'm, I'm thinking of the address, and I'm like, oh, my God. And I kind of put it together, and then it, it was the names weren't out yet. Yeah. But, yeah, we started talking at this party, and then a bunch more info came out at that party. Mm. But anyway, um, as you say, there was a lot of gossip, yeah. and some <laughs> of it was you know, not a lot of maybe solid information, but, yeah, we got some insider information for sure. Yes. So one of the pieces None of, of it we're going to share. Yeah, no. So uh, one of the pieces of information that Dr. Marone related to, to Bach Kirst was that although the family had enjoyed a happy and prosperous life prior to, so this is all from court records okay. that I'm reading yeah, yeah. from. Yeah, That's this fine. is not hearsay. Yes. Um, we just want to make that clear. Yes. Yeah. So they enjoyed, enjoyed a happy and prosperous life prior to and just following their move to BC. All of that changed suddenly and drastically in April 2000 when Dr. Marone suffered a broken neck that resulted in severe spinal injuries when he was boogie boarding while on vacation in Hawaii. Hmm. Well, Dr. Marone regained his ability to walk following surgery and rehabilitation. His injuries resulted in him suffering from memory loss as well as cognitive, visual, and spatial difficulties. Wow. This initially rendered him incapable of returning to work, which resulted in the family losing the vet clinic the couple ran together in 2003. Their home then went into foreclosure in 2004. When Dr. Marone did eventually return to work, it was on a freelance basis and due to his physical condition, which was complicated by fibromyalgia and some emotional disorders such as PTSD and depression, he could only accept limited cases and could no longer work with large animals like horses. Hmm. Did he serve in Vietnam? Uh, I don't 72 know. to 75, it seems like a significant time in American yeah, military possible. history that yeah. he would have... Could have. And that would explain the PTSD. Yeah, yeah. He's definitely a strange guy anyways. So while Dr. Shoyan... That's according to court records. Yes. Uh, while Dr. Shoyan was also a practicing vet, usually working as a locum, she too was only able to work occasionally as she had been suffering from Crohn's and colitis since 1991 hmm. and had subsequently developed an addiction to prescription drugs. This is from court records. Yes. Um, this addiction eventually led to an addiction to illegal narcotics. Oh. Yeah. So in spite of all of this, the Marone family continued to collect horses, in part because they had the space available, and in part because they were veterinarians, and so were felt to be good homes for horses that were down on their luck. Mm, yeah. Dr. Marone claimed that in addition to the horses the family already owned when they arrived in BC, they had purchased the pony Misty for their daughter in 2003. Their youngest daughter purchased another horse called Jock with her own money in 2005 or 2006. And their landlord dumped, in quotation marks, <laughs> two horses on their property, on their premises, with the promise to pay board a financial agreement that the landlord did not ultimately honor. The horse Buddy, a former racehorse, was a rescue, in quotation marks, the family acquired in 2007. A financial settlement from the Holiday Company over Dr. Marone's injury case was granted in 2005 or 2006. While this helped to ease the financial strain, it only lasted temporarily. Within two years, the family had run through the money. Hmm. Marone and Shoyan separated in July of 2008. 
By December of 2008, Marone was unable to insure his vehicle and was facing eviction from the rental property. He was unable to feed their animals and was selling his personal possessions for food. At this time, Dr. Marone was suffering from depression and his marriage with Dr. Shoyan had broken down irrevocably. According to Dr. Marone, he had made repeated attempts to solicit hay and grain donations for the horses from local organizations and had approached a couple of rescue facilities about taking the horses. Faced with imminent eviction, he had also made arrangements for his younger daughter's housing needs and he claimed that he had arranged for a family in the pony club to take two of the horses. So those are his claims. Yes. So on the day of the incident... On the day of the incident, Dr. Marone claims that Dr. Shoyan, who had moved out, had arrived to pick up some of her possessions. The pair decided to drive Dr. Marone's uninsured vehicle, so this is illegal in BC, to the community mailbox half a mile north. Dr. Marone was hoping to receive some money in the mail from his parents as a Christmas gift, but was disappointed to find none had arrived. Upon their return to the house, according to their version of events, they witnessed the chestnut gelding Buddy loose on the road. According to Dr. Marone, Buddy was running up the middle of the road, and so Dr. Marone pulled his car over onto the side of the road. Unfortunately, due to recent rain, the roadside was soft and gave way, resulting in the car sliding halfway into the ditch. Dr. Marone then climbed out of the car window and chased Buddy through a gate. Buddy ran back to the barn near the back of the property, at which point Dr. Marone halted Buddy and led him back to the car so Dr. Marone could check on his estranged wife, who was still sitting in the vehicle. Upon arriving at the car and ascertaining that Dr. Shoyan was fine, he asked her to call BCAA to tow the vehicle. Dr. Marone then allowed Buddy to graze while the pair waited for the tow truck. Dr. Marone's youngest daughter came out of the house and Dr. Marone claims that he then asked his daughter to take the lead rope that was attached to Buddy's halter, at which point the horse bolted, tried to jump, and then fell in the ditch. It should be noted that the aforementioned was Dr. Marone's version of the events, which was not corroborated by either the eyewitness who first came upon the accident scene or by the first attending police officer. Yeah, so I guess the horse attached itself to the car while yeah. <laughs> doing all this maneuvering. Yes, I know, I know, what a guy. <laughs> Okay, so this case got worldwide attention. The incident occurred at a time when social media was first skyrocketing with the general public. Being able to share videos of the horse in the ditch in various forms of social media helped to spread the word rapidly worldwide and a massive backlash against the two vets was a result. Sadly, animal neglect and abuse is not unheard of, hence the existence of organizations such as the SPCA. Neglect cases are often more frequent during times of financial recession as followed the 2008 financial crash. Mm. However, the fact that both of the owners of these horses were veterinarians, people who were educated in and made their living by helping to improve the lives and health of animals, was the ironic part of this case. Calls were made for both vets to have their licenses pulled. Within a week of the incident, local horse owner Patty Lippert started an online go petition entitled Strip the License of the Two Veterinarians. Within days, over 1,800 people had signed the petition, and while most of them were local, some were from the U.S., Hong Kong, Thailand, and the Netherlands. Likewise, the BC Veterinary Medical Association promptly started an investigation of their own, but were unable to either pull or suspend the two vets' license until an investigation was completed. Ray Snowpeck, 
president of the BC Veterinarian Association, stated that, and this is a quote, they had never heard of a veterinarian being charged with animal cruelty before, and that the case could be the first of its kind in North America. Hmm. End quote. Yeah. Snowpeck did disclose that at that moment, Marone was currently unable to practice in the province as his fees were not up to date with the association. It turns out that Dr. Marone's license had been suspended in 2006 for non-payment of annual dues of $1,340. And later, Dr. Shoyan was suspended in 2010 for the same reason, so after this case again. Yeah, yeah. The BC Veterinary Medical Association Registrar, Valerie Osborne, stated that the two had been difficult to track down at times. Internet postings. Did they also leave door hangers? <laughs> I don't think so. Internet postings called for the two vets and their families to be alternately killed, burned, and tied to the back of a truck and dragged until dead. Oh, good old social yes, media. Yes, I know. So this is a very upsetting for the whole family, but in particular the two children. Yeah. Yeah. So. I mean, I mean you think about them. You know, like they can see their parents falling apart in front of their eyes, and their whole life is about pretending it's not happening to, yeah, to other and, people. You and know, that's like very much what the case was here. Yeah. The younger girl, in particular, mm. yeah, I think the older girl had, I believe, at this time already moved out yeah, and moved yeah. on. But the other one yeah. has feels his obligation to look after her mom and dad, mm -hmm. who are obviously falling apart in yeah. front of her eyes, and you know, putting up this facade of everything's okay. Uh, yeah, it's terrible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was because she was still in high school. Mm -hmm. How old would she have been? I think I think like yeah, high school, like grade ten, eleven ish, probably. But yeah, yeah horrible. Anyway. Well, yeah, she was on she was on Eve's rally team. Yeah, she was too. a captain of the yeah, rally team. Yeah. That might have been that same year. I believe. I think it was the summer before. Summer before. Yeah, because yeah, I remember going to their house and dropping Eve off, and they were making posters. But yeah, yeah. Yes, sad. <laughs> couple first appeared in court on Friday, April 24, 2009. They were charged with two counts of animal cruelty. Proceedings were then adjourned until May. Various delays then ensued. The case was then set to resume on October 11, 2011. At that time, the judge was expected to rule on a defense application to exclude most of the evidence on the grounds that the RCMP had violated Marone's rights. The defense also filed a document. Is that because they went into the barns yes. with the police? Yeah. Yeah. I thought that when you were saying that in the story, I was like, oh, is that legal for them to just go on the property and, yeah. you know, on the suspicion that there's something yeah, going on? Yeah, I think if the SPCA had managed to get their warrant filled yeah. ahead of time, then they would have been, been fine. Yeah. 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 But they got called. And I, I think from what I read, they didn't even realize it was the same place they were going to. They mm. just got this call, come yeah, here yeah. and help. And then it's all of a sudden, oh, no, it's this, this place. Yeah, and yeah, yeah they hadn't, hadn't finished, but they had all the background. And I think sure. then all the energy is up and you start charging around. Yeah. And I don't know if it counts. Like, you know, for police, if there's like, there can be justification. You can have justification mm -hmm. for doing that if they feel like someone's life is at risk or right. whatever, but I don't think that counts for horses that no, are in a barn. No. So. so the defense also filed a document asking to seek to have charges quashed due to excessive delays. Mm. Ultimately, an exclusion of evidence was the result. The bulk of the evidence that had been gathered by the RCMP from the search of the barn and the house, including the photographs that were taken on the day by John Gordon, yeah. uh, were excluded from evidence due to a ruling of an unlawful police search. 
Judge Harris ruled the search was not only warrantless, but also unreasonable and not authorized in common law and statute. Judge Harris took exception to the conflicting explanations from the two RCMP officers regarding why they entered the house. One claimed to be looking for police hiding, while Constable Dumas claimed to be looking for the missing car insurance papers. Hmm. Judge Harris ruled that Marone's rights to be secure against unlawful search and seizure were violated. Yeah, that's true. And also that Marone's arrest violated his rights under the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. Marone was absent on court on this day due to illness. By the time Dr. Marone's final trial happened, the Marone marriage had officially disintegrated and the two were tried separately. The stress of the incidents had caused Marone's weight to drop from 193 pounds to 128 pounds. Oh my god, and he was tall. Yeah, he was tall, yeah. Carol Shoyan Marone had had a stroke in 2010, so her trial was delayed to October of 2013. Dr. Marone appeared in court before Judge R.P. Harris on March 28, 2012, and sentencing occurred the same day. Dr. Marone was represented by J. Percival, while counsel for the Crown was L. O'Grady. Dr. Dave Payton, local vet, took the stand to testify against his former colleague, Dr. Marone. Dr. Payton had been called out to treat the horse Magnum, who died in the SPCA's care. Dr. Payton said the horse's weight was a one on the Henneke scale, and through his career he had never seen a group of horses in worse shape. Hmm. Dr. Marone was charged with count one, this is a quote, being the owner or person having custody of horses willfully neglected or failed to provide suitable and adequate food and care for them, contrary to S446, bracket one, bracket B of the criminal code, end quote. And count two, quote, being a person responsible for animals to wit horses did cause or permit the animals to be of and to continue to be in distress, contrary to S24, bracket one of the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals Act, end quote. It's weird that it's specific to horses, this statute. Like, yes. Don't you think that's odd? Like, is it, it is one for dogs, odd. one for cats? Yeah. So that means, like, I got a sloth and neglected it. <laughs> they couldn't charge me because there's probably no sloth on, in statute. Yeah. Oh my god, I'm going to neglect a sloth now that I know this. Well, they probably have one for general animals, I would I would guess. I um, don't know, dear. It's pretty specific. Know. You're going to yep. get horses and Yep. So, uh Did in this day neglect a cow? I think there are ones for cows because there have been yeah, cases with cows, but yeah, you're right. Sloths maybe or like when they had a uh, 2008 around here um we had that uh conservatory or whatever uh in Fort Langley that had all the zoo animals okay. and so they had financial difficulty after this as well i don't mm. know if it got to the point where the spca were involved but certainly yeah. um well you know what happened there they had a white elephant sale <laughs> boom boom okay um so dr marone pleaded not guilty on both counts and then they had the trial so on the stand, Dr. Marone recounted his his perceived version of the events that started with his returning to home to find the horse buddy running down the road, yeah. but then proceeded to diverge from what witnesses reported. While Dr. Marone's denial of using the horse to attempt to pull the vehicle from the ditch was heard, the version presented by witness Constable Dumas was accepted as credible and taken as fact. Dr. Marone's evidence countered that of the SPCA, as he claimed that he had asked the SPCA three times to take the horses and was ignored. Hmm. This claim was shown in court to be untrue. 
Likewise, Dr. Marone's deflections of responsibility were heard, but ultimately the court determined that Dr. Marone continued to allow horses to collect on the property in spite of the family's financial difficulties. And as a vet, he would have been well-versed in the health and nutritional requirements of these animals, along with having knowledge of the expenses and duties attached to owning livestock. He was dur-hanged on his mm-hmm. own petard. It was noted that Dr. Marone continued to allow the horses to be in distress for prolonged periods, refused offers to rehouse the horses, and was not diligent in his efforts to find new homes for the horses. Hmm. It was pointed out on cross-examination that Dr. Marone had agreed to take on the financial responsibility of the horses. The judge also pointed out that although Dr. Marone claimed that the horses were under the care of his daughter, it was her fault, <laughs> ultimately, as the adult, Dr. Marone was the person responsible. Yes. Dr. Marone admitted that he disregarded the door hangers left by the SPCA and also disregarded their order to call a veterinarian as he felt it was unnecessary since he and his wife were both vets. Hmm. For, what, for, for all of that matter. Yeah. Judge Harris also pointed out that he had had many difficulties with Dr. Marone's version of the events, from the inconsistencies in his statements against the evidence of witnesses and photographs of the scene, to the lack of logic and credulity behind the explanations about bringing Buddy back to the road in order to check on his wife. Ultimately, Judge Harris found Dr. Marone guilty of both counts one and two. Sentencing for Marone was scheduled to occur two months after the conclusion of the trial. He faced up to five years in jail, a maximum $5,000 fine, and a ban on owning animals. Hmm. Initially, Crown Prosecutor Leanne O'Grady asked for a three- to four-month conditional sentence. She also asked that Marone be required to pay the $1,183 the SBCA spent on trying to revive Buddy. Additionally, she asked that Marone be banned from owning animals for the rest of his life. Ultimately, Marone was spared jail time and sentenced to two years probation, given 129 hours of community hours that had to be completed within 15 months, and was prohibited from owning animals for three years. In his reasoning, Judge Reginald Harrods stated that jail time was unnecessary to achieve the goal of, this is the quote, denunciation and deterrence, end quote, which had already happened in part due to the intense media scrutiny Marone had been under (laughs) (laughs) since the initial incident. Judge Harris also limited the ban on owning animals as he felt Marone had dedicated his life to bettering the life of animals, and it was primarily the circumstances that Dr. Marone found himself in that resulted in his poor decision-making regarding animal care. That that seems... I mean, that seems right. It seems... I don't don't think it's right. You think he should have been banned from owning animals? Yeah. For the rest? Yeah. I think, I think he willfully. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no. You're, I'm sure you're, you're right. I guess. Yeah. It seemed like a lot of his ego was, was. Oh yes. Was in this. Yeah, uh, yeah. There was a lot of, lot of ego there for sure. Following the trial, Doctor Marone moved in with his elderly mother. He claimed that the trial had ruined his reputation. Huh? Doctor Shoyan and Doctor Marone divorced. Uh, I did not find anything about Dr. Shoyan's trial. I believe that was dropped. Yeah. Yeah. I know she had been very sick and she had had a stroke, etc. Yeah, yeah. And we mentioned that um, the older daughter kind of moved on. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, she had already moved out at the time of the incident. Um, and currently she is an administrator for a U.S. college gymnastic team. 
and the younger daughter remains in an area in the area here locally and just works as a clerk in an office Mm. the four surviving horses jock chewy lexi and misty were treated and rehabilitated rehabilitated by the spca over a period of a year then fostered out and ultimately adopted by new owners in may of 2009 So following the incident, the BC Veterinary Medical Association, which at the time could not suspend or revoke licenses until the completion of an investigation, approached the province to change the act during the spring 2009 legislative session as, quote, in order to move quickly to protect animals, the BC Vet Medical Association would need that power. This points out the deficiency in the Veterinarian's Act, end quote, stated the registrar, Valerie Osborne. Mm. So, yeah. I can see that. I think it would be overreaching for them to be able to to completely take away a vet's license, but I could see, like, allowing for suspension while, mm-hmm. while it's mm-hmm. cases yeah. going on. So, by February of 2009, Dr. Carol Shoyan had paid her overdue fees to the BC Vet Association, was listed on the organization annual list of vets. And then it said, notice is hereby given that pursuant to section 12, bracket 2B, bracket of the Veterinarians Act, the following is a true copy of a list setting forth in alphabetical order the names and addresses of all members of the BC Vet Association in good standing who are licensed to engage in private practice in the province. But by the following year, she had was unable to pay her mm. fees again and so was off the list. Wow. As of April 29th, 2018, in an online registry prepared by the College of Veterinarians of BC, as set out in Section 41 of the Veterinarians Act, SBC 2010-C15, an online registry for the purpose of providing the public with a listing of CVBC registrants, both Dr. Marone and Dr. Shoyan are listed as suspended from practicing veterinary medicine in the province of BC. But... By 2023, that's now, Yeah, Dr. Choyan shows up on LinkedIn as offering home veterinary care. Oh, wow. The end. Yeah. Yeah. So I had heard that um, Dr. Marone had moved to Oregon, I think, to be with his mom. Okay. But that's the last I've heard of him. Yeah. But that's hearsay. Yeah. <sighs> well, it's one of those stories where, even though I do think what they did was obviously is wrong, so you just can't help but feel sorry for people who end up in a situation like that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not, you know, he didn't ask to, f- you know, he's just having some fun on vacation and falls and, and breaks his neck and, you know, which can have terrible repercussions, right. obviously, uh, you know, especially if you have a concussion as well and, you know, having to deal with the fallout from that. And then obviously. And her getting sick with uh, Crohn's, etc. Yeah. And becoming yeah. A- addicted to drugs and then becoming, you know, obviously th- that at that time it would probably would have been oxy. Uh, would have been the culprit. This is pre-fentanyl, but uh, OxyContin was a big problem at that time. Mm-hmm. There was another pony club parent who had issues with it as well. Uh, that was all, everyone was a buzz about it at that time as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it just, it's unfortunate that slide into into that situation. And uh, those of us who have seen Dead Ringers know that doctors who get addicted to, to drugs, it's no good. <laughs> it's no good. Bring a movie into it. I don't want to... I don't want any surgical instruments for mutant women being taken out of the museum and, mm-hmm. and you, you know, like, or the art gallery or wherever it was in that movie. It's too much for me. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of those stories because, you know, we knew them vague, we knew them vaguely, mm-hmm. you know, we like. We saw them around. They'd be at shows. They'd be at shows and stuff like that. And to be be honest, they did seem kind of strange, like weirdos, you know, in a way, because this, they're very, they're very much 
a standoffish and kind mm-hmm. of their own, you know, even when like, you know, as part of Rally, if people don't know what Rally is and Pony Club, it's kind of a great thing because it's really great for lazy parents like me, which is the kids, uh, it's basically a kid run rally. I mean, it's run by parents, but basically the responsibilities of the rally are put on the children. So they're in charge of, you know, feeding their horses, cleaning their horses, cleaning the, cleaning their stalls, you know, getting ready for their events and stuff like that. The parents in, I guess it's probably all changed now because it's a little bit changed. Yeah, because yeah, sadly, because parents cannot yeah. nowadays. Parents can't resist riding along on their children's shoulders. But in those days, you know, parents were just kind of like, "Well, we'll just go sit out in the tents and, uh, you know, yes, yeah, supervise from afar, supervise from afar, and see them. You're doing great." Um, but the Maroons would usually be the vets for the vet checks and stuff like yeah, that. They yeah. were. They volunteered a ton. Yeah. They yeah. were always at things anytime. They were at things, but they were also very standoffish. They, were, they weren't like a friendly couple. No, or and very aggressive, especially to our pony club. But as it turns out, it's because we had rival vet. And I did not clue into that. I just wondered why we were always in violation of rules that I knew nothing about <laughs> and could never find anywhere in print. And I was just like bewildered by all this stuff going on and yeah Yeah. anyways that's it was a professional rivalry that was going on there Mm, mm. um or professional versus unprofessional i guess is essentially what it breaks down to i know our friend who is a vet she would just like roll her eyes but um (laughs) yeah just we would just like suck it up but Yeah. yeah we were very much at the receiving end of all this sort of bad behavior and bad karma or whatever we didn't get the bad karma they did but yeah anyway is it just like all these yeah yeah, very aggressive very difficult to deal with yeah it's interesting um the other curious thing is that the their vet clinic as of the last time i drove by is still empty still has the their sign up this Mm -hmm. is 15 years 15 years ago this happened yeah and it's still an empty storefront which you know is not unusual here in vancouver where you know, property development is more important than actually having place people mm-hmm. in your <laughs> in yeah. your property you developed. But, build that uh, mini mall. Build that mini mall. We need more of them, but we need more. We need more empty storefronts. But yeah, it's just weird. It's just still still has the same same uh, clinic name and everything, and uh, still empty. Yeah. Odd, very odd. Maybe they're still paying the. Uh, they signed a really long lease on that place. <laughs> still trying to pay it off. All right. Well, that was. Uh, how would you describe this episode? Squalid? I yeah, guess. I think so. Yeah. Squalid, but I guess some good changes maybe came out of it with uh, mm-hmm. changes to the VET Act, sure. if nothing else. Sure. I mean, I think it's one of the problems, like, for a, a, a what would you call it, a quasi, a quasi-governmental organization like the SPCA, you know, it's not truly a government organization, mm-hmm. it's... So it kind of lacks oversight in some, mm-hmm. in, in, or it lacks a certain amount of reach in what it can do to, to, you know, to prevent these things, you know? And so I was sort of making fun of the door hanger thing in the, in the story, but it's just such a, a symbol, sim, symbol, symbol of, of the, the, the ineffectual, the limit, yeah, yeah, the limitations the ineff- that they're operating in, under. And how yeah. ineffectual it can be where you just, all they can do is if they can't talk to the owner, just leave a door hanger and, hopefully they'll call mm-hmm. but how many people are going to call it's like like the a tax people calling and leaving a f- number like are you going to call them back <laughs> why would you call them back you just well they'll call when they talk to me you know if they they'll, they'll call again i'll talk to them then i don't there's no reason for me to call them up now i'm sure it's just good news about how much money they, ha- they owe me but yeah it's uh it's it's interesting but it's wallet mm-hmm. but at the time oh the schadenfreude <laughs> yeah yes everyone was a buzz <laughs> Yeah, it's one of those things where it's un- it's 
it's un well, it's unbelievable. You know, like your idea, like you know, like I said, you have a kind of elevated idea of vets, and I think all, we all have an elevated idea of people who can go to, go to school for seven years or however long it takes to mm-hmm. become a vet and go through all that trouble and all the diff, you know, and all the you know, what's obviously like a pretty intense uh, s- study to become a veterinarian, and you know, so you're you know, you're just like, well, those people have it; t- they got it together. Yeah. They went to vet school. Mm-hmm. You know, well, why would they? Why would they have any trouble? You know, they're you know, but yeah, not necessarily the case. Yeah, I know nowadays in the U.S., vets are struggling a lot just because I think that I've read the average uh, income for a vet in the U.S. is forty thousand. So it's, wow, so even paying off your your student mm, yeah loans it takes must be, forever. Yeah, and then the suicide rate of vets uh, exceeds is, dentists now. It does, I believe. Wow. Yeah, it's quite high. Um, I think it can be a very you know you go in because you have this wonderful idea that you're yeah. gonna you love animals and you're gonna yeah. help animals that's why i work um, at the pizza place i love pizza i thought <laughs> this would be great i love pizza so much i hate pizza yeah so uh but yeah then you come out of it and i, I know talking to my friend who is a vet who and has been very successful as a vet and yeah. she has i think she said last time i talked to her about it she's got 60 employees and she runs a very big clinic yeah um and financially very uh and professionally very successful um but she said if i had a choice i would not go back into it Mm. because i learned it's all customer service which is the yeah which is a terrible thing yes yeah so she's just fortunate that she's managed to make it a well-paying customer service but i think those people that land in those situations where yeah you know they're working for someone and they're not making very much money. And then you've got people complaining mm-hmm. all the time because, yeah, yeah. yeah, the only time you see people or, you know, unless people come in for regular stuff, which is few and far between, it's, yeah. it's when something's gone wrong yeah. or when an animal's dying. And so then people, you've got emotions and you've got unrealistic expectations and then you've got people's bottom line financially that they're prepared to deal sure. with and, Yep. Yeah. Hey, I was a farrier. I know all about it. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, thank you for that, dear. That was an interesting story. Mm-hmm. I guess we should move on to listeners' comments. Okay. Our first comment, actually, is uh, someone commenting on a show from a while ago. This is from Harry. And he is commenting on uh, episode two from season one. So a show from quite a while ago. I have no idea what story this is from. But he points out that the horse appraiser is the most important person in the story, yet they don't have a name and nobody ever found them. Very peculiar. Hmm. I can't even remember which story that was. <laughs> I don't remember either, I'm afraid. Was that the one with the fellow who poisoned his wife? Oh, probably. And uh, or, or killed his wife in the uh, field. Oh, no. No, I was thinking it was actually the... One where the lady killed her husband, the lawyer. But then I don't remember there being any horse appraiser. Well, anyway, maybe we should have researched this before we started these comments. <laughs> we also got a comment from Marion. And this is about the uh, story of that um, guy who's, I can't remember his name now, Billy, Jimmy, something or other. <laughs> Billy, Jimmy. Jimmy. No, it was Jimmy. <laughs> I thought it was Billy at first, but no. It was oh, Jimmy Jim- Williams. Jimmy, Jimmy Williams. That uh, person who was not a nice person. and But she said, very interesting about the podcast. And then she said, I was a rider at Happy Day Stables as a little girl. No, this that's not Jimmy Williams. That's, oh, it's not Jimmy Williams. No, I'm sorry. Uh, 
Silas. Oh, oh, because she's from Chicago. Yeah. Oh, Silas Jane. Oh, okay. So she, yeah, that must be very interesting for her to yeah. hear all these the backstory of this man. He probably seemed like a, quite a jovial old fellow when you're a little girl. I was a rider at Happy Day Stables as a little girl. So much sadness behind the scenes in the horse industry. My heroes are tarnished. Yeah, he's sad. Well, yeah, but he is kind of like Jimmy Williams in a way. Although Silas, those guys are a bit of a different kettle of fish because they're obviously like rank opportunists mm-hmm. who just saw like an opening and went in there. Like Jimmy, Jimmy Williams is unfortunate because he was this massively talented person who like revolutionized, you know, in a way revolutionized horse training and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. was just like this sort of natural horseman, like just an amazing person. But, you know, just threw it all away for this, for this sort of, I don't know, control, cruel pleasure that he he wanted, mm-hmm. you know, which is sad. But yeah, it is, it is sad. I think anytime people, and like the vet that we just heard about, when people have skill and they have knowledge and they have all these things they can give that are so positive and, and then, you know, they make decisions that ultimately, you know, cause so much unhappiness. Yeah. 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 And then Louise wrote in. I mentioned her earlier in the show as a regular correspondent. Mm-hmm. And Louise wrote in uh, about our most recent episode uh, dealing with the Lipizzaner stallions. Or not Lipizzaner stallions, Lipizzaner mares, I guess. The stallions, who cares about them? The mares rescued from oh, the... the stallions din- were rescued. As well, also, yeah. yeah. The stallions the- are the ones that they ride in the in the school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. But didn't they also rescue the breeding mares as yeah, well? Yeah, they rescued the breeding mares, yeah. 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 Because uh, one thing to have stallions, but if you, don't, if you don't have mares, well, you can just forget about the lineage anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they saved them from Russian dinner tables anyhow. So uh, Louise wrote to say, I always, I always learn something new on Horse Mysteries. That's good. Mm-hmm. I knew a little about the saving of the Lipizzaners from watching Miracle of the White Stallions on Disney's Wonderful World of uh, Color Anthology series. Now, I don't remember it being called that when I was a kid. No, I think it was just the Wonderful World of Disney. Yeah, yeah that's what yeah. I remember that was probably my earliest exposure as a kid to World War II history. After hearing more about it on the podcast, I gave the movie a rewatch and found it told the story pretty well for a family movie. It didn't go into the sad fate of the Cossacks who helped, but it did a good job of showing how risky the endeavor was and how much cooperation it took to save the horses. There's a great line towards the end when Robert Taylor, as Alois Podaski, I just murdered that name, I know. <laughs> is in a plane looking down on all the horses being moved over the Czech border. Then he says, You don't suppose they crossed the Lipizzan mares with other horses? The pilot deadpans. It's been a long war. <laughs> Do you think horses know at some level, when they're on a movie set or in a circus or a dressage ring, that they are performing? Do they like to show off for audiences? Or are they just following orders? Now, I know you reply to this but do you want to reply yeah i i did say some do like to perform and i think so as with people some don't like to perform <laughs> i think there are horses that just get super tense in that situation yeah. they'd rather be at home out the field eating with their friends but there are horses that and i would say our pony harris is one of them yeah. like he loves to be at horse shows <laughs> and he gets all yeah, really puffed up. Well, he knows he's going to get a muffin. Yeah, I think that's it. He loves food. Um, <laughs> and he gets lots of treats when he's at horse shows. Yeah. And so he really likes it. But then yeah. he goes in and he, you know, definitely goes changes. He definitely yeah. changes his. Uh, yeah. But, you know, I'm going to I'm going to change that a little bit, though, because I think that and Harris is an, to me like a real example of this. I think horses 
because of their nature as herd animals, they love to be a team. Mm -hmm. They love to be with the person who is with them, you know, and so their performance is often based on the performance of the person who's on their back, mm -hmm. you know, and if that person goes in there with a, with a sun, you know, with a performative element to them, the horse perks up and they, they put a part of that as well. You know, like you have commented many times to me how hard it is to ride Harris mm -hmm. and how well Eve did when she was riding, you know, Harris for shows and stuff like that of, yeah. of keeping him moving and making him look like he mm -hmm. was wanting to go. Yeah. You know, he, so that's not him performing. That's him being made to perform by the person riding his on him. You yeah. Know? And I mean, part of it is that shows they get a little bit of a adrenaline rush sure, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So they're more forward. Mm -hmm. But yeah, there's certainly that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But I do think, I do think that horses love to please their teammate, mm -hmm. you know, and I don't want to say owner because I don't think they care about that because that's meaningless to them. But the person that they see all the time who's ride who rides with them, who spends all the time, gives them treats, brushes them, all those sort of things, all the attention that horses get from that, I think that they really like that. And I think that they, in a horsey way, fall in love with the person who does that for mm -hmm. them. And they're eager to please that person and, and play with them. Right. So I think to horses, a lot of what they're doing with, when they're right, when the person's riding them is play. Right. And so they are eager to play. Mm -hmm. And so they get excited. Their tails go up, their ears go up, they perk up, they, mm -hmm. you know, go forward more. They go forward yeah. more. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and they go do everything faster. Just like yeah. a band, you know, I always joke about going to see a live band is greatest hits played fast. You know? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, we had a, a riding lesson this morning where exactly that thing happened. I have a student who bought a horse. It was in this big herd of horses. This old man just kept collecting horses, and he did take good care of them. Yes. He was taking horses from the track that were getting retired, and people were just going to throw them out. Yeah. And so saving them, and then some of these horses were being bred. I think he had intentions to bring his horses to the track, and okay. he never did, and so had this huge herd of horses, <laughs> and then he passed away. Mm. And then his daughter was faced with having to disperse this herd. Yikes. And one of my students, who's an adult, took one, and so got this... 10 year old horse who'd never been broken and mm, was yeah. not even really halter broken I mean, or uh, anything. One, one time, oh no, it was never, never rode at the no, track. Never no, no, that one, track. it oh, was wow. just one that had been bred on the place and mm, then never got mm, to the track. Mm. And I've ridden a few horses or tried to train a few horses that started very late yeah. and they are way harder to ride so, yeah. because they don't have a work ethic, you yeah. know? Like, they're just like, why can't I just go stand in the field? And um, that's been the that's issue. I've asked that question all the time. Yeah, that's been the issue with this horse. In yeah. the little that she's been doing with it, it's just like so hard to ride him because mm. he doesn't want to go, even though he's a thoroughbred. Yeah, yeah. Um, he just like, goes around the ring dragging his feet and he doesn't want to go and yeah, yeah. Um, yeah very hard to ride well we took him to Campbell Valley Park this morning yeah and just all the energy that was there we took him in the ring we didn't take him out on the sure, cross country sure. but he was beautiful he yeah. was just going perfectly and so um, yeah she obviously needs to do more of that with him yeah, yeah. because yeah it shouldn't be a chore for you to have to ride the horse either yeah yeah um, but yeah, when you go to a horse show, you know, as a competitor, you're, you get a little bit more stimulated. Of course you do, um, yeah. And so they do say that horses will synchronize their heartbeat to yours. Mm -hmm. And so if you're up, then the horse will be more up. I've also heard that that's not true, but whatever, I choose to believe that. I choo yeah. Well, I choose to believe that horses are 
to a certain degree a reflection of the riders and you know if you're a hot if you're a hot rider you'll have a hot horse mm-hmm. that's without a doubt that's yeah. true and so and if you're a rider who just wants to take it easy and have a lazy time the horse will be happy to have a lazy time mm-hmm. with you you know like you know like you you are part of you're a part, you know as a rider like i'm when i used to listen to um sports talk radio they would often make fun of the equestrian events as like an olympic an olympic event because to them the athlete was the horse mm-hmm. they didn't understand how riding works because they're just like fat old men talking the radio so right. they've never actually been on the back of a horse yeah you know, so they don't understand like how much work there is in making a horse go forward, mm-hmm. and also how much work it is to make a horse go forward and then go over like a big jump. Right. You know, like, these are all things that aren't natural to horses. You know, they don't naturally want to like go fast all the time. They they like to be scared and or not they they don't like to, but they're used to being scared and running away. But they're mm-hmm. not used to like doing like long prolonged running, and then they also don't really want to be jumping. You know, mm-hmm. so those are things that you have to coax them into liking to do, and that's part of the team that you build. You know. Right. If there's a performative aspect, that's where I, that's where I would see it myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's my own personal opinion, which has nothing to do with reality. <laughs> All right. Well, that was really that was a, I liked that question, by the way, Louise. That was mm-hmm. really interesting. Thank you for that. Yes. Thought provoking response, and Lisa did respond as well. I didn't bother reading her response because I wanted her to talk about it on the show. But if you want to read a response, you can go to our uh, website, which is called Sneaky Dragon. That's where we host all our podcasts. And if you go there, you will find every episode of Horse Mysteries. I have now gone through and the other day I went through and made them all to season one episode. Da, da, da. So now they're all like uniform. That helps me in life if everything's the same. Mm-hmm. And then uh, so you can go there. You can find all the episodes. And if you want to respond to them, you're welcome to leave a comment underneath. And we will even talk about your comment on the show. Sometimes in a confused way. <laughs> You can also leave a, you can send us an email if you'd like. Our email address is sneakyd at sneakydragon.com. And Lisa has put together a Facebook uh, page and you're welcome to go there. You'll find all of our, ep- I guess you won't find the episodes, but you'll find resources. No, I do post resource. the episodes. Oh, you do post yeah, the episodes? Post well? the episodes, oh, post okay. pictures related to the episodes or um, what do you call it? Album? Yeah. Oh, and a little album, album of, of and photos then and stuff? Yeah, just cool. associated articles. Some of the things that I would write yeah. or read rather when I was writing this. Sure, sure. Um, and then other things that I find later and go, dang it, I wish I knew that. <laughs> we'll have to do a we'll have to do a, a omnibus ep- episode where we go back through stories mm-hmm. with information you wanna wanna add to them. Oh, and I I wanna make a correction in the one we did last time about the okay. Lipizzaners, and I said yeah. that Pajoski wrote Equitation. Oh. And then afterwards, I'm like, he didn't write that book. No, because that was that German guy. Jean Fossard. Oh, Jean Fossard. Okay. A, I guess I'm mis- French, mixed But up. I do have some of his books. Okay. Okay. I just said the wrong, the wrong name. Mm. All right. I'll, I, I believe you. Hopefully, our listeners believe you as mm-hmm. well. But thank you for that honest correction. All right, everyone. That's the end of this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Next time... We'll be back from England. Mm-hmm. So we'll have things to say about England, but we'll also have things to say about, what's the next episode called there? Panique Collective. <laughs> Panique Collective. All right, great. We're not going to Paris but or to France, but we are, I guess we're close enough that French will rub off on us and mm-hmm. we'll all understand that that means mass panic. All right, everyone. <laughs> we'll be back in two weeks with another episode for you. I hope to see you soon. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.